On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. It might have gone missed uh, during the week, and in fact, it might have been missed by, by quite a number of you. Um, that the former president of the United States uh, was in a witness box in a trial in New York this week and played the Fifth Amendment, which is where you can uh, refuse to answer a question in court um, if you believe that the answer could incriminate you. And he played the Fifth Amendment at least 440 times. Uh, you would think that that would have been headline news. And indeed, in any other circumstance, it probably would have been headline news were it not for the fact of everything else that has been going on in the world of Donald Trump uh, this week. Larry Donnelly is a law lecturer at NUI Galway. He's also a Boston attorney. He's with us uh, from uh, Massachusetts today. Uh, Larry, thanks for, for getting up early to talk to us while you're uh, on the other side of the pond. Um, first of all, before we talk about the, the Mar-a-Lago raid and what it's going to mean for Donald Trump, uh, what do you make of the fact that Donald Trump was uh, taking the stand over one of those long, long-going um, litigation trials in New York um, about a multi-million dollar tax and bank fraud alleged by the Trump organisation and that in four, in a few hours' testimony, he refused to answer the question 440 times? Yeah, I, I think, Gavin, on the one hand, it's illustrative of all the legal difficulties that Donald Trump is facing. Uh, the other thing is that it, it, has, it has been noted that uh, once upon a time, Donald Trump said that why would anyone ever plead the Fifth Amendment unless they have something to hide? Uh, and it's extraordinary now to see him uh, doing the very same thing. And then after he's done so, uh, talking about the virtues of pleading the Fifth Amendment. Um, you know, look, there's something very shady in his dealings uh, in New York. I think that that's why the investigation investigation and it continues. Um, but on the other hand, when it comes to the New York investigation, when it comes to potentially, uh, I, I suppose, not not paying his fair share in taxes, uh, I don't think politically speaking that has a huge capacity uh, to damage him. I don't think many people will be surprised. I don't think many people will be, uh, people who would vote for him anyway, uh, will be angry. But again, uh, it does show just how much difficulty uh, he faces. And whether he runs for president or not, I mean, the, you know, this is going to be a distraction that stands there for an awful long time. If it isn't something that would turn his prospective voters away from him, uh, this is maybe a question that, that has a half hour answer or maybe the question doesn't have an answer at all. Why is that? Why would some people who support Donald Trump and who maybe have, might have given him the benefit of the doubt about releasing tax returns in 2016 or, or believed what he said when he said he was under audit so that he wasn't at liberty to release them? Why wouldn't they reconsider their stance after, forget the Mar-a-Lago raid, after pleading the fifth 440 times in one day? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things at play, Gavin. I I think one is, uh, as Donald Trump once said, uh, I could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue and people would stay would stay with me. Uh, the cult of personality that has sprung up around Donald Trump uh, is extraordinary. I think j- just as an aside, I think uh, an awful lot of politicians from every side of the aisle uh, would probably like to have that kind of, you know, unwavering for- following and unwavering loyalty of people. Uh, the other thing is, you know, a very different attitude in the United States uh, when it comes to uh, paying taxes uh, and how you, do, you know, what what one one's fair share is. Uh, Whereas in Western Europe, you know, paying taxes seen a part of societal solidarity. Mm. uh, And we see people in Ireland in particular, you know, who who, who are perceived not to be paying their fair share uh, come under severe attack. Uh, In the United States, paying as little tax as you possibly can is almost uh, a national pastime. Uh, And people do not take the same sort of negative attitudes uh, towards that. So when people say, oh, look, you know, Donald Trump didn't pay uh, or deliberately undervalued the price of his real estates uh, or, you know, on one hand and then on the other hand said that he was worth a billion or whatever it might be. uh, Awful lot of Americans, that is that category of people who would vote for him, say, uh, we don't care. Fair play to you, Donald, uh, because of the very different attitude in the United States people have. 
Um, the documents that were seized from the raid in Mar-a-Lago, they include 25 boxes of materials. Four of the boxes were marked as being top secret, sensitive, compartmented information. That's the highest level of US government classification. And it's a level of classification which cannot be lifted by a sitting president, much less a former one. Um, so it's not simply the case that Donald Trump can decide, you know, he can wave some sort of imaginary magic wand and decide, right, this is now public access. Um, so the very fact that he had this documents uh, in his, his personal home somewhere which is not managed by the National Archives or by the FBI or anyone else, um, it does raise, uh, on the face of it, some genuine, legitimate questions as to what information he might have kept to himself and what his reasons were for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think and this is one, Gavin, that has, you know, real capacity, I think, uh, to dent Donald Trump um, in, in the sense that, you know, look, they're, they, you know, first of all, I think it's worth noting that Merrick Gallin, the United States Attorney General, has come under sustained attack from Democrats for not being more aggressive in pursuing Donald Trump. Uh, that he has taken this this course of action, uh, a guy who's notoriously cautious, that he has taken this course of action and uh, that, he, that the search warrant was signed off for by uh, a federal judge uh, is indicative that there might well be something there. Now, the great question is, what exactly is there? And again, Gallant is playing you know, very close to the vest. We don't know uh, what that is. But certainly the one box of documents which relates to uh, really serious matters of national security, the fact that Donald Trump has that uh, at his private residence, I do think that that is going to raise uh, the hackles of people uh, across you know, ide- the ideological spectrum and indeed some of his, his own supporters. Now, what I will say, also say is this, is that, um, look, the, the legal process will play its way out, but if there isn't some sort of revelation or if we don't find out uh, what exactly is going on here, then there's a potential for Trump to spin this to his advantage because uh, he will say, look, I'm under attack. Uh, they're out to get me. FBI, Department of Justice are totally politicized, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, perhaps regrettably, that's a line of thinking and a line of argument that a vast swathe of the United States uh, will buy into. Um, Larry, I know I'm catching you on the hop here. I need to get to the next guest. But before I do, I know you're an avid election watcher. Uh, It's uh, primary day for a lot of congressional races uh, in a couple of days time. And Liz Cheney, who is the the daughter of Dick Cheney, she's the leading Republican on that January 6th House committee, um, could very well be uh, effectively unseated by her own uh, in a primary uh, on Tuesday. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, Liz Cheney is is facing a Republican challenger who was once, interestingly, Gavin, once a huge Trump critic, but now has all but uh, married Donald Trump. Uh, Liz Cheney is finished. Uh, Liz Cheney is going to be defeated and defeated uh, very solidly. And the fact that she spent so little time in Wyoming and so much time on Capitol Hill uh, is indicative of that. What her next move will be will be fascinating. Some people even say she might run for president. Uh, But certainly in the primary, uh, you know, unless there's a miracle, she's gone. Uh, which is fascinating just to see exactly how things have become so polarised. Uh, Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway, thank you very much for joining us uh, today on, on the record and thank you very much for getting up so early because I know that you, you are over on the other side of the Atlantic. Also on the other side of the Atlantic is James Polity, who is the Washington Bureau Chief with the Financial Times. Uh, James, thank you for getting up to talk to us um, so early this morning. Um, are we any uh, closer to knowing at this point uh, why exactly Donald Trump still retained so many files uh, on his personal property or, or is the fact that we don't know precisely what makes this so intriguing? Well, I think it's the latter, really, because, um, you know, the, the, the search uh, warrant um, and the search itself that was executed came after 
you know, weeks and weeks of sort of back and forth between the Justice Department and Trump's team. And at sort of at every stage of that, um, uh, you know, he could have hand, handed over um, all the documents. And even, you know, as, um, as recently as June, um, Justice Department officials went down to Mar-a-Lago. Um, they tried to secure um, the release of the documents and um, they then issued a subpoena in order to um, uh, force uh, uh, Trump to hand over the documents. And those were his chances to sort of hand them over uh, without any uh, further repercussions in a certain sense. Um, and yet he hung on to them. And so the question is, you know, why was he so doggedly determined to uh, hold on to those documents? And, you know, one could, could put it to sort of uh, just his own sort of personality and the way he thinks and his own defiance and his sense of sort of outrage at ever being scrutinized. Um, but also it might be the substance of the documents themselves and, um, and how, um, and, and, and sort of, you know, him not wanting the government to see them. And I think that um, uh, uh, that's still very much an open question. We, we haven't had access to the affidavit in support of the search warrant, um, which would have laid out um, sort of all the underlying reasons why uh, the Justice Department is sort of pursuing this. Um, and so in the absence of that, it's quite hard to glean um, too much about what's what's in there. Uh, I want to come back to, to maybe some of the, the mystery about all of this, but is there any prospect or any process under which that affidavit can ever be made public? Or is that the sort of thing that will remain under lock and key forever? Well, from some of the legal experts that I've spoken to since um, this all erupted um, have suggested that at some point uh, we probably will see that affidavit, though it could take uh, quite uh, quite a long time and possibly not before, um, certainly not before any prosecution actually happens um, and possibly in sort of, you know, very late stages of any case against uh, mm. Donald Trump. Um, with all this, this suspicion or the doubt there is as to the content of these files and why Donald Trump might want to keep them, whether it's just as, as something of a trophy from his time in the White House and whether you might like to show them to pals or whether it's something more sensitive. Uh, he has argued on Friday night that he had issued what he calls a standing order to automatically declassify a lot of those documents anyway, which, which then he contends means that they are not secret. But I suppose if they were not secret or if they weren't sensitive in any way, if they had been made public by him while he was in office, there would be no need to keep them under lock and key in Mar-a-Lago. He could... He could put them up anywhere. There'd be no need to be evasive or to to, uh, to be underhand as to saying exactly where they are and what's in them. Sure. I mean, this is going to be kind of in a sense, and it and it appears to be um, his first line of, of defense in a certain sense. Um, but of course, there's no paper trail. There's no record of him declassifying this or having a standing order to declassify it before he left office. Um, and certainly the government does not believe that these documents were declassified. In fact, even in the, um, in the inventory list of the documents that were seized, they are described by the government as classified documents. Um, and so um, it's, uh, it's a slightly, um, it feels like it's going to be a slightly spurious um, defense. Um, however, um, it is going to be one of uh, Trump's main main lines of defense and it enters into sort of, you know, pretty uncharted uh, territory from a legal perspective because we've never really had a, a president who's had to 
um, a, you know, a former president who's, who's claimed declassification, um, uh, uh, you know, against the opinion of the, of the government. Um, even if there is obviously serious substance to the case that's been taken by the FBI and the Department of Justice over all of this, there will nonetheless be the perception that this is a witch hunt, particularly because one of the possible uh, sanctions for breaches of the Espionage Act is that you can be barred from holding public office again in the United States. And that's obviously pretty germane when it comes to Donald Trump because we know he's still weighing up whether he's going to seek the Republican nomination again in two years' time and look for a rematch against Joe Biden or some other Democratic challenger. Um, How likely is it that there might actually be some kind of uh, conclusion to all of this and that Donald Trump's political future might be decided on his behalf before primary season kicks in? I think that um, I think there's a good chance that um, um, his political future is is dashed by by all this, but I think it would come from a sort of politi- negative political reaction um, rather than some kind of legal um, sort of disbarring from public office. I think that um, in terms of you know there are some statutory provisions that uh, suggest. Um, that he could be barred for office um, if he were uh, found guilty. Um, however, the Constitution lays out, you know, the criteria for um, presidential candidates, um, and that might take precedence. Mm. So, um, so in other words, if the Constitution says who can and can't run for president, then you can't limit that by some other legislation. So even if there is, in principle, a way of barring you from office, that the Constitution might might pardon the pun, trumpet, and that he'd still be clear to run. Yes, I think that that would be the legal back and forth. And so he could still be clear to run, uh, potentially. Um, although, again, I don't think that we've had a situation like this. But um, so from a legal point of view, I think it would be debated. And, you know, possibly he might be still allowed to run for office. However, from a political point of view, there had been signs earlier in the summer that Trump was becoming there quite a few Republicans, um, especially Republican donors, were really souring on Trump. And they, they felt like um, he was sort of the only candidate who could lose in a potential 2024 matchup um, against a Democrat, even though he was likely to, you know, prevail in a in a Republican primary. So some Republicans were looking for alternatives. And I think as this drags on, if if indeed um, sort of the case against Trump is a strong one, um, I think it could be quite difficult for him to mount a successful 2024 um, campaign. Um, however, if the if the if the uh, if the case uh, proves to be weak or um, it 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 is perceived and the perception of sort of political um, interference kind of gains traction, yeah. then it could end up boosting him, certainly in, in the primary. Uh, final question for you, James, and thank you very much for taking our call when it's so early where you are uh, this morning. Um, how likely is it that if Donald Trump is not the Republican candidate for the presidency in 2024, that whoever they nominate, whether it be uh, Mike Pence himself or Ron DeSantis or Mike Pompeo, how likely is it that they are just going to be Trumpism with a different face? Or how, how likely is it maybe that the Republican Party might be able to return to anything of its previous orthodoxy? Or, or has Donald Trump's grip on the party now become so severe that the only way for the party to be led is by someone else with his school of thought, but just not the man himself? 
Well, at the moment, um, you know, the, the sort of second place um, uh, choice among Republican voters for the 2024 um, presidential nomination besides Trump is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's uh, really taken up the mantle of Trump in many, many ways um, and, and sort of implemented, you know, very sort of hard right Trumpian policies in Florida. Um, and but is perceived as someone who, you know, might be, you know, Trump sort of minus the chaos um, in a certain sense. And, um, and I think at the moment, um, he's the most likely uh, a person to jump into the race if Trump doesn't. Uh, but he has rushed to Trump's defense. I mean, um, after, you know, this, this past week after the, the, the search on, on Mar-a-Lago, which was on his turf, of course, um, in Palm Beach, Florida, um, he was railing against uh, law enforcement and suggesting that it was uh, political persecution. So, um, so the grip is still very strong. Um, the question is, you know, what, uh, you know, how does this all unfold, um, and what happens if um, if if Trump is ultimately indicted, and mm-hmm. how is that? How is that perceived in the, in the sort of court of public opinion? Yeah, uh, it is fascinating and it's certainly uh, remarkable that someone who no longer holds public office in the United States is still dominating the discourse by so much. Uh, James Polity, uh, Washington Bureau Chief with the Financial Times, thank you very much for joining us this lunchtime on The Record. On The Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.